Well, good morning. Welcome to chapel. Good to be with you all this morning. Um, we're going to do the Apostles' Creed together in a moment. Um, I have a three-year-old granddaughter, and um, she can say the Apostles' Creed. That's one of the things she's learning, but she has to kind of dance while she's doing it. So if you're just learning the Apostles' Creed and you need to move your body to remember it without looking at the words, just know you're in good company. A lot of us are like that. So if you, if you need to do that when we get to that. But before we start, I have a word for you today that's very important. Um, here in uh, Old Main, uh, in John White Chapel, on the podium is the seal of the college. And I imagine that wherever you are in the college, you can see a seal somewhere or you can get to a place soon where you see one. And in the life of our country today, it's very important for you to remember the seal of Geneva College. We are pro-Christo at Patria, and we need to remember today who we are. We live in a community in which, in an election week like we're in, we have brothers and sisters in Christ, who some of whom will have voted differently than we did, some the same, some who are fed up with politics and didn't vote at all, some who aren't sure what to think. But our allegiance is never to an earthly king or prince or political system. Our first allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is reigning over all nations today. And as believers in Jesus Christ... We are family together. And you will go home at Thanksgiving for family and you will have quarrels with some people, but they are your family and you will love them and you will care for them. And in this context, I want us to remember who we are together under the reigning king, the Lord Jesus Christ, and living together under his word. So this is a week today and in the days ahead for us to be careful and gentle with one another as our country navigates a very divisive and hotly contested election season. And that's what we expect, and that's what we profess when we profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not that we'll be non-political but that we'll recognize where our first allegiance is, not only to Christ, but to our brothers and sisters in Christ, whom we love. And so I want to encourage you to remember who we are in Christ today. Please stand with me and we will... Say the Apostles' Creed together as we head into chapel. We're delighted to have Pastor Baker with us this morning to open God's word as we profess our faith faith together. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty.
From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. As we turn to the Lord, let us give thanks for the peace that he has given us, even among each other, uh, because we know that our hearts are filled with uh, anger and dissension, and yet the peace that passes understanding given to us through our Lord Jesus Christ is felt even now by those of us joined here. So this morning, I'd like to pray for us and give thanks for what the Lord has done in our lives so far and what he is doing, and uh, to also lift up in prayer those who have worked diligently and carefully to preserve not only the peace around us, but also uh, the peace that we experience at this institution. So let's join together in prayer now, giving thanks to the Lord for the work that he is doing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are so blessed in that you have given your spirit to reign in our hearts. And as your spirit reigns in our hearts and governs our lives and oversees our thoughts, that we do truly, when our, when our hearts are turned towards you, experience the peace that passes all understanding, that comes through a realization of your son's sovereignty. And that he won that sovereignty, Lord, by going before us to the cross to win our hearts, to bear the burden of our sin, to take the curse upon himself, and to be our Savior. And so not only has he saved us, for eternal life, but he's also saved us now from the anxieties and fears and troubles of this world. And he has also, Lord, given people to us to oversee our lives, to care for us, to care for this college, to care for our classes and our coursework, and to care for the other structures and institutions that afford so much stability and safety, when so many other things produce suffering and difficulty and distress. So this morning, Lord, I do pray and give thanks for the church that surrounds this college, faithful brothers, sisters in Christ, who are praying for us, who are lifting us up with their offerings and their gifts, who are encouraging the work of the college through volunteer and other kinds of efforts, who have raised diligent students, sons and daughters, to attend this school. And so, Lord, I thank you also for the friends of the college and for alumni that continue to follow you in faithfulness and support the work here. 
I thank you for the board and its work, the work that it does tirelessly to oversee the details of the work of the college, to make wise decisions for us, to give of their time sacrificially, to think about us, to care about us, to raise monies for us, to recruit students, to recommend us to other people, and to pray for us. And so we thank you, Lord, for their work and for their kindness and their generosity. And I also thank you, Lord, for the board of corporators and how they continue to remind us, Lord, of what the work is that we're doing here. To follow your son, to be first and foremost for Christ, and then also reminding us that even as we seek out education that improves our minds and increases our talents and our skills, that each one of these activities should be joined with a love for our neighbors. And that as we are raised up in mind and body and spirit, we are raised up to service to those people that we will join in professional practice and in the communities that we will live in. So, Lord, we thank you now for providing us that leadership. We also thank you for Dr. Traup and his wife, Amy. We thank you for their careful and diligent work with us, for the good word that Dr. Traup always has to share. We thank you for Amy's quiet support of the curriculum, for her own efforts to help us in learning and transition and other activities that she joins with the college. We thank you, Lord, for the work of Dr. Stevens as our provost and for her care over the curriculum and the people who administer it, for her care in making sure that the work that we do is in line with requirements of the governments that oversee our work and for the accrediting boards that oversee our work and her diligence and delicate care to all of those activities and her encouraging words to the faculty and to the students and her attentiveness even to her own classes. We thank you, Lord, for the vice presidents that you've given us that oversee the work. We thank you that they attend to the details of finances, the details of the facilities, and the details of enrollment, and making the college's name known to those who might want to study here. We thank you for the work of the public relations office and the work that they do tirelessly to produce um, different messages that help people understand what the vision and the mission of the college is. We thank you for their work, Lord, and for their quiet and diligent activity that supports what we do. We pray, Heavenly Father, for those who are chairmen of different departments at the college and how carefully and and diligently they work to make sure that the curriculums and the faculty in their departments are doing good work, are carefully attending to other people's work besides their own, listening to student concerns and helping students to understand the nature of a curriculum, helping their colleagues by encouraging them, providing support and good cheer, even when the work is hard and the hours are long. We pray, Heavenly Father, also for the leadership in the student body, 
We thank you, Lord, that you have given us officers in the Student Government Association. We thank you that they're working uh, diligently to discuss matters of the student body. And we thank you for the other uh, offices and administrative um, staff that are working carefully with these bodies. We thank you for Dean, for the Dean Jamie Swank, that um, Dr. Swank, that's doing such good work with the students and with us, encouraging us to care for them appropriately. We thank you for the Office of Counseling that's working with students there and helping them and encouraging them in their coursework with other matters. We thank you for the the Office of the Center for Student Engagement and for the work of Randon Willard and his work with the Learning and Transition class and his work with students and helping them to understand what it is to engage a community of learning and how they might do that best. And we thank you, Lord, that you've given us students that want to study. Thank you for their diligence and for their care and their thoughtfulness and the execution of their studies, for the good writing that they produce, for their attentiveness to their reading, for their care on each assignment. We thank you, Lord, and praise you that you have brought us together to do this work. What a joyful thing it is to do work for you, and to be pleased to honor you in all that we do. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us a spirit of joy, that we would lift our voices in praise to you each day as the sun rises, as you give us the weather that you've ordained, whether it be rain or sunshine, clouds or a clear day. Let us continually praise you and thank you for all that you have done. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, who gives us the power and the strength to do it. In his spirit we pray. Amen. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. At the the beginning of Psalm 22, we find a man who is forsaken by God and being crushed by his enemies. And his reaction is to look to the Lord for vindication to trust his saving God to make all things right. And by we're going to read from the second half of the psalm, and we're going to see that what begins to happen is that the Lord, through this, begins to redeem all things to himself, begins to save all peoples. I would be remiss if I didn't point out that uh, the beginning of the psalm is what one of the things Jesus cries out from the cross itself, Psalm 22, 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for the portion we're going to read, the book of Hebrews looks to Psalm 22 to show that Jesus Christ is right now at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. A very rich psalm. Let's stand together and read. 
Would you read with me from Psalm 22? I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over all the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the ones who could not keep himself alive. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, Geneva. I greet you with the grace and peace of God, our Father, and Jesus Christ, our Lord. Stand before you in the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim to you that there is one name to which every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess. It is the name of Jesus, for he is Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's good to be with you again. And I noticed that over the last couple of weeks, every time I come out here, the sun is shining. I don't know if I bring the sun to Geneva or if if the sun's just out here and it greets me every time I come. But it's good to be with you. Good to see you all. And I believe I really have a word from the Lord for us today uh, during these chaotic times in our culture. And I believe they don't this word doesn't free us from thinking well on the subjects and the issues that we are struggling with in our culture. But I believe God in his word gives us the guiding principle for how we should think as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapter five, verses 43 through 48. Let me breathe a word of prayer, give you my subject, and then we will give our attention to the word of the Lord. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Allow us, your children, to hear what the Father is saying for us in this season of life, which you've allowed us to exist and to represent you in this world. This we pray in the strong name of Jesus and everyone who loves him said amen. Amen. Today, I want to speak to you about loving your enemies. Love your enemies. Matthew 5:43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons 
of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. The word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Love your enemies. Our country is in a cultural dogfight. We're in the midst of a dogfight. And if you know anything about dogfights, what's interesting is that the animosity between the two dogs is artificially contrived. The dogs really have no beef with one another. The only thing that connects them is that they belong to handlers who stand to benefit from their quarrel. So in a dog fight, the dogs have to be riled up, angered, and made to feel that the dog they are fighting is their enemy. Friends, we are in this country in a cultural dog fight and the church has got caught up in the mix democrats and republicans as i believe we still wait to find out who will be our next president have been caught up in the dog fight democrats and republicans who live on the same streets pay the same taxes send their kids to the same schools shop at the same grocery stores can't talk to one another because of who they want to live in the White House in Washington. Because we are caught up in the midst of a dogfight. Blacks and whites and other ethnic groups at odds and now seeing one another in a country where we profess to believe that all men are created equal, see people who have a different skin tone, come from a different zip code, as enemies because our country is in a cultural and a philosophical dogfight. Christians, conservative Christians, so-called conservative Christians, so-called liberal Christians have gotten caught up in this dogfight, throwing excommunications at one another, and if my memory serves me well, I believe Paul said in 1 Corinthians, is Christ divided? Maybe we are insisting that each of us has the real Christ because we have become in a church in America that is not shaped in the image of God, but have fashioned gods in our own image and named them Jesus. Friends, we are in the midst of a dogfight in this culture. Yet there is a voice crying in the chaos. 
for us to come near to God and to see the world from God's vantage point. But we've been so captivated by the cries of the culture that we can no longer hear the cry of Christ. We no longer want to hear the cry of Christ. So the word of God has been relegated to the dusty coffee tables in our living rooms or bookshelves in our study, maybe crammed in the book bags of Geneva College students. Yet Christ calls to us from Matthew 5, 43 through 48. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. The relevant question I want to ask the text today is this, friends. How do you love your enemy when you've been caught up in this dogfight? I believe the text teaches us three liberating truths that can help us get our minds right in a world that is just all over the place. Are you with me today? The first truth I see in the text is this, is that we've got to accept that hate for any humans, for any other human, is sin. Man, that's good. As Christians, we accept this fundamental premise in human relationship. It is off limits for me to hate you. Jesus says in verse 43, for you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Friends, Jesus teaches that if you will follow me, if you will hold my name, if you will be a child of God, there is nothing unique about the love ethic or defining love in the terms of the law of reciprocity. Jesus says God's love is not a love that if that, 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 that means if you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. No, God's love is a love that extends even to the one who has broken your heart and brought hurt into your life. Jesus in our text stands as the new Moses, the, the new lawgiver, the prophet promised who would come, who was like Moses and would clarify the law of God for us. And what Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount is this, that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. That human actions are only a manifestation of where their hearts are in relationship to God. What you do only reveals how you are and who you truly are inside in relationship to the God of heaven and the creator of this world. So if you are in rebellion to God, you will live opposite God's will and God's laws in God's kingdom. But if you are a child of God, you will live in obedience to God's will, God's laws in God's kingdoms. And Jesus says, if 
You are going to be my child. If you're going to be God's child and my follower, you, you, you have such a robust definition of love that extends even to people who bring hurt into your life. Jesus says, case in point, take, for instance, some people who we all despise and we all look to as insufficient for us to model our lives and our ethics after the tax collectors. Tax collectors were despised in first century Jewish culture because they were people who took advantage of their own for some other group for their own self-interest. So Jesus says, hey, don't give me that eye for an eye, uh, you scratch my back, I scratch your back ethic of love, because even the tax collectors do that. There's, no, there's nothing divine about that type of definition of love. That is simply what people in the world do. That's what sinners do. If you look out for me, I'll look out for you. Then Jesus says, well, then if the tax collector is not good at enough, let's look at the Gentiles. People who do not follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We would never look to them to define how we are to be in the world as God's people, would we? No. Well, then we cannot accept the type of love that they use to guide their lives. They even know how to love their neighbor, love those who are from their group, love those who benefit, who they benefit from when uh, when they are blessed and that they can share their blessings with. No, Jesus says God's love, the kingdom love extends even to our enemies. Therefore, hate for any other person is sin. Jesus elevates his followers' definition of love. I don't know if you've seen the series, The Last Dance, and it really seems to be a series that just chronicles uh, the championships of the Chicago Bulls uh, when Michael Jordan was their star player. And it gives you a lot of information up close that you already kind of knew. Michael Jordan was the leader of the team. He was obsessed with winning and he raised everybody's level and definition of excellence so that they would become champions. He pushed everybody to be more committed, everybody to work harder, everybody to work uh, to, to, to be more excellent so that they could be a championship team. He raised their definition of excellence. And this is in a real way what Jesus does for his disciples in today's text. He raises our definition of love and love extends not to people I'm comfortable with alone, not to people who do good only to me, but even to those who hurt me and persecute me. And Jesus says to to us, church, today that we cannot allow hate to be a part of our hearts if we're going to be possessed by the love of God. Hate has no place in the believer's heart because God completely wants to possess the believer's heart. If you will, I've been here for a couple years now. Will you allow me into some sacred space and some intimate space with you? Would you shut your eyes for a minute? And would you bring before your mind the person that you hate the most? And will you say this with me? Hate is sin. And before you open your eyes, think about what they did to make you hate them. And I know it hurt. And I know it may even feel like a reason to hate. 
And I know it's hard. But if you do not get rid of that hate, it will harden your heart towards God. Will you say it with me one more time? Hate is sin. Jesus teaches, number one, that we must accept as his followers that hate for any other human is sin. One more piece on this. If Jesus is saying that we legitimately cannot hate people who have even hurt us, there is no room in the Christian faith for hating people simply because they're different from you because they don't think the same as you on every single issue and because they don't come from the places you come from. That is not a notion of love that comes from God. That's a notion of love that demonstrates that you are a child of Satan and a part of the kingdom of this world. The second truth I see in the text is this, friends. Number one, we must accept that hate for any human is sin. Number two, we must uh, acknowledge that Love is the heart of God for all people. Love is the heart of God for all people. Look at 44 again. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Say that um, so that you may be sons of the father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Jesus in today's text roots the proof that God loves all people. And if you are a child of God, you should love all people in God's general providence and provision for all humanity within creation. God cares and loves his children and his enemy. And the proof is, is that every sunshiny day rises on both those who are enemies of God and those who are children of God. Every delicious meal, there are delicious meals that have been enjoyed by both saints and sinners. Children are born. Weddings happen. Family thanksgivings take place. And and we are comforted by one another, both righteous and unrighteous. And God's provision is for all of us in this creation. And that is the demonstration of God's love for all people. The Apostle Paul in Romans 5 and 8 elevates our understanding of the depths of God's love. Is not only does God in general take care of all of us, both saint and sinner, but the Apostle Paul says this in Romans 5 and verse 8. But God shows, another translation said God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, we've got to accept that God's love, God's God, that love is the heart of God for all people because God only saves sinners. And he saved us while we were in open rebellion against his will. Yet Jesus, yet the Apostle Paul teaches us that God so loved us that he sent his son to redeem us and did not withhold withhold his grace and love for us, even when we were in complete rebellion and dishonor to God. 
Maybe even, the simple, maybe even more simply put, God saved you so God loves his enemies. The heart of God is a heart of love toward all people. God loves all people. August Wilson, in his play Fences, tells the story of this broken relationship between a father and a son. The son is so exacerbated and frustrated with his dad's general emotional disconnection and his harsh way with him. And he says one day to his father, do you even like me? I mean, I just really want to know, do you even like me? And the father says to the son, boy, stop worrying about if I like you. Ask whether I've done right by you. The father, the son, disappointed at his father's response, walks away again, feeling unloved. But what he didn't understand, if I read the story correctly, is that the father was really saying, listen, in my brokenness and my lack of experience, I gave you everything that I had to do right by you. And if that's not a demonstration of my love, then I don't know what else to tell you. Friends, in today's text, Jesus says that God has done right by us all, both saint and sinner, and has provided every good gift that we need in this life, in creation, in general, and he has provided for us his special provision in the salvation of Jesus Christ. And that is a demonstration that God loves his enemies. And if the heart of God is a heart of love for those who have rebelled against him and violated his love. He now calls us as his children to enter into relationship at times, even with those who have hurt us so that we can replicate and imitate the love of our father toward even those who have broken our hearts. Thirdly and finally, I see in the text the truth that we must authenticate our that God, that we are a child of God by loving our enemy. We must authenticate the reality that we are children of God by loving our enemies. Look again at verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. This is what everyone does in the world. But verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your father is perfect. Look as well at verse 45. So that you may be, uh, uh, verse 44, excuse me. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. We authenticate that we are children of God by loving our enemies. I'm a spy movie guy. I love Mission Impossible. I love James Bond because what I love about spies is they always know how to get into top secret spaces. They've always got spyware that unlocks the code and lets them into some secret government building. 
because they know how to manipulate the technology to seem uh, to, to satisfy everything that is needed to authenticate their presence in that space. I remember going to Disney with my children and feeling like I was in a spy movie because to get into the Magic Kingdom, I had to give my fingerprint in order to get access into the kingdom. It made me a bit uncomfortable, but we did it in the name of family fun. Amen. And so the text reminds my mind to that time and reminds my, my mind to, to spy movies and, and, and yields this question in my mind, what will it take to gain access into the kingdom of God? In today's text, Jesus says that we show that we are citizens of the kingdom of God in a world that is in rebellion against God by loving our enemies. Jesus Christ, the only son of God, came to earth and lived sinlessly, died innocently, and rose victoriously to give us access into the kingdom of God. But faith, authentic faith, is not merely confession of belief in the the redemption of Jesus Christ. No, authentic faith is both confession and full trust in Jesus Christ and a submission to obedience to the will of the Lord. It's called repentance. Repentance acknowledges that I am an enemy of God. And it acknowledges that there's not not one thing that I can do to gain acceptance and admission and forgiveness into so that I might enter into God's kingdom. But because of God's grace and love for enemies, he has accepted me as his own because I am his own. I am submitted to not to no longer walk in rebellion against him, but to walk in obedience to him. How will the world know that I am a child of God? Scripture says they shall know us by our love. It begins in the Christian community, loving my brother, loving my neighbor, loving those who are I am comfortable with. But it does not end there, friends. Justification is not the end of our Christian walk. It is the the beginning of a brand new life in the kingdom of God where we love even our enemies. And Jesus teaches us that the world is able to understand who we are because we live by a different definition of love. If you hung around my family, hung around my friends, it wouldn't take long before people would say to you, you would hear someone say to me, Will, you act just like your dad. You, you walk like him. You move your hands like him. You talk like him. You, you think just like you, you. You are just like your dad. Used to annoy me when I was younger. I just accepted because it's the truth, right? Because I am my father's son. I act just like my father. And I'm also the nephew of a preacher. And my uncle... Dr. Trout told me I look good this morning, so thank you, sir. But that's because my uncle was a preacher. And every time he preached, he was clean as the board of hell. 
And so one day I was getting ready to go preach, and I, I said to my wife, babe, how do I look? Am, am I ready? Am I I'm ready to go preach? She, she said, babe, you look good. I said, I look good? How, how do I look? How, tell me how I look, babe. I look, do I look good? She said, you look good, babe. I said, I, I said, how do I look? Tell me. Tell me. Tell me how I look. I like telling you. I like hearing you tell me. And she goes, you look like Uncle Doug's nephew. And that meant so much to me because he's the first preacher I ever wanted to be like. I am just like the men who fathered me. And if God is your father, your definition of love is not, I'll be good to you if you're good to me. But if you do wrong to me, I'm doing wrong to you. If you're different than me, I have no obligation to care for you. If I don't understand where you're coming from, it's not my problem, it's yours. God's definition of love is found in the incarnation of Jesus Christ who came and stood in his enemy's shoes, saw the world from his enemy's perspective, understood why they lived in the way that they lived and loved them so much that he would die on the cross to make them no longer enemies, but friends, not even just friends, but children of God. Brothers and sisters, this is what it means to love your neighbor. This is what it means to love your enemy to care about people and love people enough to get in their shoes, to even absorb and go past the hurt, to show them a love that is not from this world. The hymnologist said, was it for crimes that I have done? You groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. That's a viewpoint and a perspective and an energy and and, and, and a mood in life that is filled with love that can only come into the life of one who has been loved by God Almighty. It is the love of Christ for his enemy that has set each and every single one of us free and that now allows us to be ministers of reconciliation so that the redemption that we receive, we might offer to anyone, everyone who will receive him. Friends, that is what comes from a life that is able to love their enemy. So I encourage you today to get out of the dogfight and to reconnect with the love of God by living like your father, acknowledging hate as sin, and by loving your enemy. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would use it for our growth and our freedom and your glory in our lives. Let your people hear you And not only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Help us to love one another. Help us to love ourselves. Help us to love one another in the church and help us to love people in the world, even our enemies. Where there's brokenness and anger and resentment and where our minds have been filled with the worship of false idols and, 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 and have been taken captive 
by, by, by vain and wicked philosophies, Lord, break the power of Satan, that we might walk free in the love of God. And that we would not only bring, we would not only be used to be conduits of your healing in others' lives, but we would be set free in our own hearts and minds. For he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.